What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 330 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Today's show, Gibson Piper of Half Court Hoops joins in to talk Lakers, Celtics, Utah Jazz, and more a fantastic conversation with Gibson. You can find Gibson on Twitter at Half Court Hoops. That's H-A-L-F-C-O-U-R-T-H-O-O-P-S. Don't forget to subscribe to Coach Piper's YouTube channel, Half Court Hoops, a fantastic channel where Coach Gibson delves in to the X's and O's of basketball. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. You can catch me on Twitter at Combo's Court. C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Same name as the podcast. And don't forget to share this episode. Share with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. And of course, share it on your IG stories. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's... Get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Gibson Piper of Half Court Hoops. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today, man? How's it going? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. How is the season going? Shall I ask? Uh, it's it's going good now. Uh, started off uh, zero and six, but but three and one in the last four games. Um, lots of injuries, but this is uh, we lost a lot of talent from last year, so it's going well. Um, and and the guys are all you know improving, which is which is all you're looking for. Okay, let's stay on your high school team, but also talk about half-court hoops. Um, obviously, you study the X's and O's of the game. What NBA coach do you feel like you steal from the most? Because all coaches Ooh. steal, Gibson. You know that. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 we make a living off of that. Um, that I steal from the most. That's a good question. Probably uh, Quinn Snyder in the Utah Jazz. Wow, wow. Why so? Um, uh, some of their concepts are more applicable to high school. So they, they teach, you know, the, the, the spacing is, is perfect in their offense. So we try to have perfect spacing in our offense. We run five out. Um, and then there are concepts in terms of how they basically own the play after the play, where if the ball doesn't stick a whole lot, you know, it can stick in, in Mitchell's hands when it, when it needs to. But for the most part, they teach a lot of concepts like stampedes, which is basically if you're spotting up and your defender cheats, you catch the ball going downhill. So it takes advantage of a, of a longer closeout. So we try to emphasize some of those concepts. Uh, but but the first off, the spacing is what we, we basically steal from the most is how they run to the corners and how they space and spread out the floor. So let's stay on the Jazz because I think they're a very interesting team. Um, you know, many will say that Rudy Gobert, he loses value in the playoffs. Do you believe that to be true? And are you believers in the Jazz? Uh, I don't think he loses value in the playoffs because it, it, the value is relative. Who are you? Who else are you going to put out there instead of Rudy? Right. So, like, 
even if they go to their bench, like what, what's the alternative? What, what is the, the next best option? Like, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a drop-off significant from when he's on the court versus off the court in the playoffs where he gets exposed is against smaller teams, but it's not necessarily his responsibility. It's usually him having to help all the time because the jazz's point of attack defense isn't at an elite level. Right. So right. if you look at the way they guard the ball, that's when, when it becomes a problem when, when he has to help and then they get in rotations because of that. And the teams are spotted up in five out. That's when he got really, really exposed, if you will, which is not the right word to use, but people love to, to use that term. Um, and I do believe that jazz more, I think this year uh, they're playing a, a simpler offensive style than they have in the past, but also they have like the highest NBA offense, almost in NBA history right now. If their defense is just average and that translates in the playoffs, which I think it will, they become a really tough matchup. And plus they haven't been healthy. You know, Conley has been out for, you know, past uh, five games last year, two games before that year, Mitchell had the ankle problem last year. So we haven't seen a fully healthy jazz, but also we haven't seen them overperform, you know, to, when they, when they are injured unhealthy. So it'll be interesting. I think they'll, they're, they're a good second round team, uh, maybe fight for the conference finals, depending on matchups. But if you look at the West right now, the only teams that give them issues are going to be the Warriors and the Suns and the Suns aren't going to try to play small ball. The Warriors will. So that's a problem. But if they can finish, you know, second and avoid the Warriors, if they finish first, then, then you're talking, but uh, I think it's all matchup based. And, and this year, the West playoffs aren't really as more like teams are going to expose him in five out besides maybe the Warriors. So there is another Rudy on the team. How do you feel about him as the small ball five? Because they haven't tried it a lot uh, this season so far, but do you think we'll see that in the playoffs? Uh, they've I've actually uh, studied this. They ran, they run 90 possess, 95 possessions with Rudy Gay at the five. So not playing much, small, huh? small ball. So not much at all. Typically a good sample size is like 250 to 500 is, is an NBA, a good sample size. Um, so not much at all. And it's like negative 23 net rating, which is uh, horrible. So it's not going well. And, and it's not fair to him because he's not a small ball five. He never has been right. He, he's not, he, he's not been billed as that. And he shouldn't be billed as that. He's a good four man with length so they can have more defense and, and be able to switch one through four. Uh, but he just isn't designed to be a small ball five. Like he just, it, that was never his strength. And, and if, people are anticipating that it's just the wrong thing to anticipate so as you know the point of attack defense is a big issue for them they haven't really done anything to change that though right yeah and, and it's hard because you have a ton of regular season success you have a formula that works but you know are, are you willing to shake that up for a chance at the finals you know I mean, obviously that's the ultimate goal for every team is win a championship you know that's that's what they're trying to do but there's a fine line between shaking it up and making a mistake versus going and getting out a defensive stopper. Now, the, the, the other thing is, is who was available. They didn't have a ton of cap room, you know, like you're going to trade somebody and, and maybe there are trades to be made around the edges to maybe flip a player like Joe Ingles or, you know, Royce O'Neal for maybe a more you know, defensive player like that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not like it's, it's open season in the NBA where you can just go get guys, you know, you have to, to worry about contracts and, and money situation and, and, and team preference and things like that. And so it's a fine line between shaking it up and going to get somebody else and also maintaining the chemistry and say, Hey, we haven't been healthy. Let's try it with this group and see if we can stay healthy. Yeah. I think there is a scenario where Utah could win it all. And that would be if we see bubble Mitchell, right. If everybody stays healthy and, that's basically what it has to be. Like, I don't think there's any other scenario where they can win it all. Like, 
they're one of those teams where everything has to go perfectly. But I guess you could say that about a lot of these teams now, right? Yeah, I mean, you could that that's kind of how how titles work is is there's an element of luck involved in every title run. You know, I mean, you right. look at last last year, you know, it's like you know, the Bucks had the weird injury and then the Hawks make the conference finals and then, you know, Suns make the finals and, and it's all it's all you know, you know, LeBron and AD injury in the first round and it's just there's always an element of luck in every single title run to an extent, but there's also a a base of this team was talented enough to probably get there. Um, and, and the jazz, you know, I mean, really, if you look at the West, I, it's, it's warrior sons, jazz, probably in that order. And, you know, the warriors do have a little bit of a question mark with clay coming back. Like he should, yes, add like a lot of value, but it's always weird when you add a new guy to the mix, you know, that the, the guys are, are in their, in their rotations and they understand their roles and you add clay back guys are getting less shots and he's not a guy that needs the ball, but it just adds a different wrinkle. Sons are pretty much who they are. So it just, it just depends on. Uh, the Jazz's matchup, you know, are they peaking at the right time? Can can they can they keep Gobert on the floor at a high level? Are they going to play Whiteside as a backup five? There's just a lot of questions that can only be answered until we get to the playoffs. You mentioned the Bucks. What a, what adjustments did you see Coach Bud make last season that he wasn't doing prior to that playoff run? Um, it wasn't a ton of adjustments. It was more like switching, you know, than, than they did before. So it, it was play Giannis at the five and be willing to switch him out more. Um, instead of going to the deep drop scheme, but ultimately they were able to kind of play their base defense and still make a title run because of the matchups and some of the things that they were able to do. Um, and, and a lot of it was uh, Drew Holiday being able to be, we talk about point of attack defense, like that's like the best in the NBA. So you start with there, you don't have to overextend your defense and worry about that drop coverage getting exposed. So it was just little things here and there where, where they would, they would maybe, you know, shrink the floor a little bit more in pick and roll. So uh, especially in the Hawks series where they, they would have the guys who are off the ball in the ball screen, take one or two steps more in the paint and make everybody else beat you. Things like that, where it doesn't seem like significant, but tiny things like that make a huge difference. It seems like teams weren't able to wall up on Giannis like in the past. Was that something schematically or something they did from an X's and O's point of view? Uh, to an extent, they changed from five out to four out. Um, a lot from the, in the past year where they would have put a guard in the dunker spot, which is basically like on the baseline where you have uh, a four out, you know, one in lineup. And that really, it doesn't really do a whole lot for, you know, what you think like in, in the grand scheme of things, but all it did was just open up more space. It just created more lanes. And then at the rim, the main rim defender would then be a guard. So it's just a harder rotation, not as much rim protection. And then uh, guys, you know, hitting threes really helps, you know, I mean, that, that takes a lot of pressure yeah. off of, you know, if you double Giannis and the guy hits a three, now the coach is worried about, you know, like you can't help off Middleton, Drew starts hitting threes, you can't help off him. Uh, it just makes it more complex in, in, in the players thinking, not really the matchup. They may still trap Giannis, but they're, they're worried. Maybe, maybe they're a half step late because they're worried about the kick out for the three. Coach Piper, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been high on the Celtics for a long time now. I'm probably a little bit higher on Jalen Brown's game than most. I'm probably a little bit lower on Jason Tatum's game than most. But can, do you think they could turn this season around? I just feel like it's too much your turn, my turn stuff with Jalen and Jason. I don't think they have a connective piece. I think they lost that with uh, Gordon leaving. I think a player like Tyrese Halliburton could help them a lot. Obviously, I think a Ben Simmons could help them a lot. Just somebody that could connect them all together. But I'm just not a believer in them. Do you believe they could turn this team around? Uh, it's it's hard this year because of COVID and all the weirdness with lineups and, and, and the roster that you're playing. You know, like Tatum's been out the last few games. And, and so, you know, you, you just – 
there it's hard to build a connectiveness even if you're like when you're slightly disconnected like like it seems they are at times yeah when, when you don't have the time you know like if you don't have the time together and 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 they're playing weird lineups i don't like the the horford and williams pairing in in, in the center position basically both playing two centers um and so it's not really about like do they seem disconnected it's more about can they play together and win while playing their own styles and their own games and i think the answer is yes because they've been to conference finals together before but the difference is is i think they're hesitant to pass to anybody else on the team right so like if you're driving if you're jason tatum and you're driving and you see help and you look in the corner and you see marcus smart or schroeder you know if you give that to them that the likelihood of them making it is lower and then also like are you going to get it back like if you pass a schroeder are you going to get it back it just is. I think it seems like a, a trust issue when it comes to those teammates. Yeah, I just feel like you just don't have a flow or a rhythm when there's one or two guys playing ISO ball all the time. And if you do play like that, those ISO players have to be super elite. Like, okay, if you have a Michael Jordan or if you have a Kevin Durant or if you have somebody that's so efficient that it doesn't even matter. But even when you get a bucket, it doesn't add value to the, like, the flow of the game, if that makes sense for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at you look at the best isolation players like James Harden elevates his teammates through his passing. Right. Yeah. He, he's one of the best isolation players in the history of the game. And so it can work. We've seen it work. You know, we've seen we see KD, you know, and, and James Harden have success. Even LeBron to an extent has yeah. that kind of that kind of feel to it where like in Cleveland, if you weren't ready to spot up and you weren't a great spot up shooter, like you may not touch the ball for eight straight possessions when you when it hits your hands open, you better be prepared to make that. I, yeah, I, I just think that you have to defy the odds playing like that. Like, you have to be so great at that for that to work. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just all it's it's all about your plan of attack, right? And and the problem is the Celtics' plan of attack is surrounded by those two guys, and they're not great in isolation. You know, me, me and Kevin O'Connor touched on that in our pod where he had stats where they're like, you know, some of the worst isolation players in the NBA right now. And so you look at that and you're like, well, that, if that's your plan of attack, why is that happening? Like, are they designing ISOs or are they uh, having to go into ISO at the end of the clock? Right. Cause there's a difference between James Harden coming down, especially in his days in Houston and finding a switch and going into ISO and hitting a step back three or finding an open teammate and the Celtics offense, where maybe they try to run something and get a couple of, of looks. And then it results in a Tatum ISO or a Brown ISO, because that's the only option they have at that point. You ever go back and look at your James Harden step back video? Like what stuck out to me the most was how much quicker his feet was. Like he has great mm -hmm. footwork now, but he was just a lot quicker back then. It was, it was just faster. Like his first yes. step was faster and, and the, his ability to explode off that. And also people really didn't know like what was happening. Like, like they knew he was going to step back, but they couldn't anticipate how quick and like how, how shifty it was. Now it's more methodical. People know it's there, so they can sit on it a little bit more. But yeah, his, his explosiveness just seems to have taken a huge, huge hit. Yeah, it was interesting. Even on one of the step backs, he stepped back to the mid-range, which you saw less and less of throughout his career. Throughout his yeah. career in Houston, shall I say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In Houston, they were like, hey, you step back and shoot threes, and, it's, and he became unguardable. Yeah, they were really serious about that because I heard their G League team, like, if you shot a mid-range shot and missed, you're out the game. Yeah, I don't know if it was that extent, but like I'm I think sure, so. I'm, I'm sure they, they had some sort of like rules. <laughs> I did see somewhere where they, they had, I don't know if it was the G League or if it was the actual Rockets where they would post your picture with how many mid-range jumpers you took like the next day for film <laughs> session. Like they had it in the room. Your, your picture would be up with the number that you took. Um, but yeah.
Yeah, and even at one point, I mean, James Harden took a lot of them. They were anti-floater as well. I was surprised that like floater is one of my favorite shots in basketball. Yeah, I'm the opposite. I hate the floater. Really? Oh yeah, I I despise it. I I don't. We don't teach it. Uh, we have it in our rep in our in our in our game reps. We we do we do have that, but like we don't emphasize or teach it. Our rule is if you like, because to me a floater, you know, you're basically looking at you're stopped. Like that's why you shoot a floater because somebody's in front of you, right? So our rule is kind of okay if you see somebody's chest in front of you. That, that then we have the advantage like we beat our man now the help has come get that thing out to the opposite corner opposite side and let them make another drive and kick scenario um so that's why we don't really teach or emphasize the floater because in my mind that means somebody has is, is at the basket or is going to stop you at the basket that's interesting don't you feel like if a player has an efficient floater it makes life easier for him it just gives him so much more options and then also the help has to step up even more if they know you have that option so you could get all the way to the rim yeah i don't i don't we don't tell them not to shoot it i guess i should say because like you know if we have we have we have a kid this year our point guard is probably the best mid-range shooter in the state like not even close his mid-range game is so good and we we don't ever tell him not to shoot we encourage it like we just say get, get to your spot get your shot so if you're going to shoot a floater and you make it great but the the more often than not that we've seen in high school is on those drives it results in a charge whether that player's there or not wow. you know if you if you float and you make any contact and you they flop the ref has rewarded that charge way more often than we've actually hit the floater um, so we don't necessarily teach it but we also don't say don't shoot it we just we just we we tell them what shots we're looking for and our whole goal is when you drive if you see somebody's in the lane you see chest get that thing out and and keep them in rotation because we've won that possession yeah it's interesting kevin durant's a guy that doesn't need the floater because he could just get up into his shot whenever he wants like he he'll get up into his shot like from 10 feet and he'll make it look easy yeah yeah it's unguardable most definitely um coach i had uh Jokic as the MVP. That was my prediction going in. From what I remember, I don't know if this was about a month ago or if it still stands now. He had the highest PER in NBA history, but this leads to a bigger conversation. How much stock do you put into PER? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know a ton about it. If I'm just being honest, like, like gotcha. my, the, the, the where I look at from like number standpoint for me is like net rating, offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, and then those four factors. Uh, I try to just keep it simple. I'm not, I'm well versed in some of like, if you want to call it analytics, mm. uh, I look at more as like strategy. Like, you're I, more, I, like I, I would say you're more of a film guy though, right? Well, I yeah, guess it all yeah. goes together. Yeah, I, I usually, my process is basically I watch the film and then I'm like, huh, that's interesting. They're doing this. I wonder if the numbers correlate with what I'm seeing. And then if they don't, I'm like, okay, well, why don't they? You know, so like I'll, like I'll watch the Hornets and I'm like, oh, they seem to be getting up like a lot of threes, but not a lot of corner threes. And then I'll go and look at the numbers. I'm like, oh, well, they're actually second in the NBA in corner threes. What am I missing? You know, and then you go back and kind of look at some more film and just kind of play that game where I watch what's going on on the court and then go back to go to go to some of the, like the, like I use cleaning the glass for a lot of the stats. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of look and go, okay, well that the stats don't tell my eyes are telling me something different. Let's figure out where the disconnect is or, you know, what am I missing when I'm watching the film and then go back and see that. I heard you say before that the Blazers defense has been too aggressive lately. What would you do differently? And why do you say that? Yeah. I mean, I, I did a, a long video on that and, uh, and talked about it on, on KOC's pod as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty simple. You have to set up your defense for success, right? So you look at your roster and you go, okay, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Let's keep doing whatever our strengths are. 
So if you have a big who's not as mobile as other bigs and is your only you know, way of rim protection, you have to think probably keeping him off the ball is the best uh, course. And then if you don't have great on-ball defenders, right, like Dame and CJ are not the best defenders, especially on the ball, you have to think how do we get them to not have to chase these guys all around. So for me, the answer was ice ball screen coverage which is essentially forcing it away from the ball screen. So if you have a high pick and roll and you hear, you know, your big yell ice, you always want to force it to wherever the ball is. So if the, if the ball is in their left hand, you want to jump on that guy's right hip and really force everything to the sideline so they can't use the ball screen. And what okay. that does is it keeps the big basically, uh, you know, you're not in drop drop, but you're in like a, you're off the off the ball screen if you're the big. So probably two or three steps off, you could be at the level and then retreat if you need to. Uh, but essentially, it it doesn't allow the guard to use the ball screen, so the guard, guard defending the ball isn't getting picked off, and then it keeps the big at or near the rim. Which, if he drives downhill, now you've got the big at the rim defending, and your players on the weak side don't really have to get in too many rotations because it simplifies the coverage. So it comes down to Nurkic, pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's and 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 Nance to an extent. Um, you know, if you're gonna, they've been playing him small ball five, obviously, because they've had some COVID issues and injury issues. Um, but yeah, it just comes down to, uh, and then also, you know, what are your weak side defender strengths? You know, you look at Covington, Powell, they're pretty good on, on, on yeah, Covington's ball coverage. good off ball, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the problem is, he's been great this year, but the problem is, is you look at like if you play Simons or, or Dame or CJ, they're just not. So what, when they are trapping or being aggressive and hedging, they're, which is putting two on the ball, that means even when they're in the right rotations, let's say Dame is, is guarding the corner or he's off the ball, if he rotates to stop the roller, that role man's not worried about Dame at the rim in rim protection. So that was some of the issues they were getting into. We mentioned the Blazers, we mentioned the Celtics, and they could be in the mix for this as well. What team do you think could turn it around for the rest of the season? What, what team do you think has the best chance to turn it around out of the teams that are struggling right now? I guess Lakers are in the mix for that as well. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers, I'm really not, not worried about the Lakers at all. Um, if you look... A lot I'm with of you. Get, I think I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah a lot of people, um, especially in big markets like the Knicks and the Lakers, it's usually like elation. Like They're so excited because they, they're playing well or doing simple basketball things that are, are good or it's like despair like there's no real in between of like okay we, we lost these games and 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 you know we're okay because this these things happen it's usually like we lost five games in a row the world is ending we're in so much trouble like we're the last worst team um so i think in the, and especially in the lakers and knicks the, the big markets have that sort of dynamic but the lakers you look at their their numbers when when they play the the, the big three i guess you want to call it like russ LeBron and AD. If you play those three with no centers, they're like, you know, plus eight net rating. Like, like they're, they're one of the best net ratings in the NBA. How's the sample like, size? Uh, it's, it's not great. I think it's like 200 minutes or so, okay. which is not like a lot, but I mean, it's, it's enough. It's enough yeah. to be like, well, if they keep doing this, it's not going to get any worse. You know, like, like, yeah. like they're only going to improve. Um, if you look at the, uh, the AD at the five only lineups, which they played a ton of lineups with him at the five in different variations, they're actually like negative 0.2 net rating. So with just AD at the five, it's not great, but if you do AD and LeBron, then it becomes they're like plus 5.6. So like, if you look at the different lineup constructions for the Lakers, there's something there where you can go, okay, like, like it can work. Like I can see it down the line in a playoff series working. And plus LeBron and, and AD, if they are who they are, they can take over series by themselves. Like they're just that good. AD hasn't been great at all this year, but he can be that good, right? Like he can't, we've seen it, but it, it's just, it hasn't happened yet. 
Um, so I'm definitely not worried about them. The one team I would say that would out of, out of like, kind of like the worrisome group, I would say the Celtics would be my candidate uh, to be a team that kind of bounces back because if you look at, so they're, they're top 10 defense. I think they're like ninth now in defense, which I didn't expect. I thought they were bad on defense. They're 22nd in offense or, or hovering around that range. It changes game to game. The difference is when they don't play the lineup where it's, uh, I think it's Schroeder, Smart, uh, Williams, Horford, and or, or uh, Schroeder, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams, their starting lineup. If they don't play that lineup, they're so much better. That lineup is like negative 14 net rating on like 200 possessions. Like it's just, that hasn't worked. So if they don't play that lineup, they're like plus 11. Like it's like a, a 17 or 18 point swing uh, in the net rating that like goes from like negatives to positives so quickly. So, and, and against top 10 defenses, their offense hasn't changed. So their offenses stay the same versus a top 10 defense or a bottom third defense. So there's a formula there where, okay, like their offense just needs to get on track. If they play Horford at the five or just Williams at the five, their offense is much better. It goes to like 15th or 14th in the NBA. So there's a way for them, you know, there, there's a way for them to get up there. They just have to have consistency and, and kind of figure it out. So, yeah, I got two more Celtics questions for you. Do you see what I see that they need another connective piece or what type of player do you see them needing? And would you think about splitting up the duo of Tatum and Brown? So they need somebody who's going to like come down the court and, and just say, okay, here's what we need to do. Like, mm -hmm. here's exactly what we need to do. They've been running this type of defense. Here's a, the, the offensive counter we're going to run. Here's the play we're going to run. Rondo? That sounds like Rondo I mean, to me. But he's I going not, to Cleveland. Yeah, I would not trust Rondo <laughs> right now at his age. Like, he just, he, he just wasted the playoffs now. That's the problem. Like, he just, he just waits till, till yeah. it counts, and then, and then he tries. Yeah. So, I think he'll be great in Cleveland. Um, I, I, as, a, as a backup point guard, I think he'll be good for those young guards. Right. Um, but, like, you just need somebody who's, who's going to be able to have a somewhat control over the game and not need the ball a lot and be able to get the guys to their spots and be able to run an offense at an NBA level. You know, they don't even need to, need to be a great three-point shooter. Just be somewhat of a threat. And then you also need somebody who is just going to say, like, screw this. Like, they don't have a screw this guy, right? Like, like when, when things are going bad or poorly on offense or defense, nobody is there to be like, enough. You know what I mean? Like Draymond, if something's happening in Golden State, he's mm. like enough. Like I like enough of this. He's not the best. Draymond is is probably the best uh, uh, version of himself when he's going screw this. Like you guys aren't doing this right, or, or we're not doing this right. Like like yeah. here's our well, defensive plan. Fix this. Well, offensively, he would fit great too because he's that connective piece. He's like the epitome of that. Right. And I'm not saying like Draymond's never leaving the Warriors. Like, right. That's right. What right. I'm saying. But just like to an extent, somebody who is going to be like, here's here's what we're doing wrong. Let's fix this. Like, I'm sick of this. Right. And you just don't see that from the current Celtics roster, which is fine. But that that's the problem. Would you think about splitting up Tatum and Brown? No, I wouldn't. OK, I just I mean, at, at this at this point, no, um, because like they're just too talent. Like you have to have talent in the NBA, right? Like who, like who are you going to get for either one of those guys? Like, that's the question. So I like, would I've you do it for Ben Simmons? No, one never. of them. No, never. No, you saw, I mean, Ben Simmons wouldn't even dunk in the playoffs. Like if you're trying to win a championship, like, yeah, but he, he's, he's still all-star level player. All even. Sure. With all oh, I, I, I'm a huge proponent of Ben Simmons. Like I think I, I thought it was funny. Some of the trade rumors there mentioned in the off season. I'm like, he, he's like a 25 year old, you know, all defensive player, like under contract. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's going to be great. 
the problem is I just wouldn't, for me, if I'm trying to build a, build a championship roster or even a contending roster, I would not go get Ben Simmons. And plus like Philadelphia and Boston, the market size, like that's pretty comparable in terms of like scrutiny. Like I'm pretty sure Celtics fans would not be kind either to Ben yeah. Simmons. If that's where his mental, you know, if, if he's worried about his, 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 his mental state, um, which some of the stuff, stuff that he said through whatever, it makes sense. But like, you're not going to go to the Celtics and feel any sort of like safe space with no criticism. Like that's just, that's going to happen. Yeah. All right. So for those that don't know, you did coach Trey Murphy, the third in high school, what the focus of his development was, because obviously he did all the right things to land himself in the league. And obviously, I mean, the growth spurts were, were part of it. Right. But was it more the athletic development side? Was it more the skill development side? Was it the mindset? What was he working on in the off seasons and during the seasons? Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Cause when like, like I did not expect him to be a professional basketball player, like even, even when he left to go to rice and like, even, like even, rice. even overseas, I mean, when, when he grew to be six, eight, yeah. But like he left okay. when he left, when he, when we, when he left us, he was like six, five, like he, okay. was, he was still not like, like a, a dominant, uh, uh, physical force. Like, like he wasn't this, this size. So when he was six, five, you didn't think he was going to play after college. Uh, I didn't know. I mean, he okay. had a lot to do because he was, he was, he needed a lot athletically and he needed a lot physically like growing, building muscle. I knew once he got into college strength program, he'd be fine. But I didn't, I just didn't know. He could shoot at that level. Yes, I, I knew that. Um, and mentally he could play at that level because he was he was super smart. But like you just you just don't know. Like I just didn't know. I knew he was gonna be good. I just didn't know he'd be this good. Um, and and a, so the big thing is when, when when I first met him, he was six two, six three, maybe 155 pounds. Like he was Whoa, nothing. Yeah. And going into his junior year. Um, so the the main thing, we didn't get we didn't get that offseason with him. Um, so we had him during the season. And he was doing okay. I think he was like 10 to 12 points a game. Uh, then our other very good player transferred to a different school in the middle of the season. So about eight games in. And then from that point on, he was the only player we had basically to score the basketball. So he went from like 12 points a game to all of a sudden like 30. Like he was dropping, he dropped 44 on one team. Like he just all of a sudden took off. And because there was nobody else to do it, so he just had to do it. And so that the, uh, the, the summer between, I guess the fall or spring and summer between his junior year and senior year, the main focus was just basically every day improving in the little things. Like the biggest thing we do is footwork. Footwork was, was something that we, we prioritized in every single drill and every aspect we did with every play in the program, not just him, but it was, it was the number one thing where we wanted to make sure our footwork was pristine. Our, our jump stops are clean. Our pump fakes are good. Our, our, our balance is perfect. Like we just wanted to make sure every aspect in every shooting drill or every drill we did that our footwork was, was as crisp and clean as possibly or possibly could be because you can't control your height. You can't control you know, you know, your, your speed to an extent, like, like we knew he was going to be going to get bigger and faster and stronger, but at that point he wasn't. So what we could control was all the little details, the footwork, you know, the, the, the positioning, the spacing, you know, here's what you do in this situation. We watched film every single day, both as a team and with, with him individually. And what separated him from everybody else is at that school, especially he would, he would ask after every game, to shoot after the game. Like, like he, he scored 36 against the best team in the area, scored 36 points on like eight to 12 shooting and, and had the best game of his career. And after the game, he was upset because he thought he didn't, didn't play as well as he could have and because he wanted to get better. So we stayed after the game for an hour and a half in the gym, just working out. 
And so that like, that's what separates everybody between, between when you get to college, every in NBA, especially everybody's your, your same height, you know, to, to an extent, mm-hmm. you have the same athletic sort of, sort of skill. And what separates the best is their willingness to grow and learn. And so he would send me clips in the off season. He would send me clips when he's off in AAU tournaments of like watching Chris Paul or watching, you know, we, we did a lot of Brandon Ingram study. We, we, he'd be watching these guys. He's like, Hey coach, this is what I'm seeing. Am I correct? Like that stuff like that. where like, I can't teach that type of effort and that will to, to get better. So he was so focused on getting better that it really separated himself from everybody else. Because then when he became six, nine, he had everything else already. He had footwork. He had the mental instincts. He had the film watching. He had the drive. He had the spacing concepts. So he knew everything when he went to, to Rice and then Virginia. He already knew everything they were going to do. They just do it in a different way. just taught it in a different way. So he prepared himself from that very beginning to when he became athletically and physically gifted. It just all combined together. Have you seen a lot of growth so far in his young NBA career just being in the NBA? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can see he's starting to put, he put, put some things together. Um, and, and obviously he's not getting a ton of time right now, but you can see when he is on the court, he's starting to figure some things out, but it happens to every NBA rookie. Like they're just, they, they just need time. Like it's just a different world, different game. So he just needs time to, to figure it out. And usually uh, you get to know more about the player, you know, second and third year in the league versus Definitely. just the first year. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Even fourth. All right. Yeah. You know, you really dive into the X's and O's of basketball, uh, before we get out of here, I just wanted to ask you, what do you feel is the biggest misconception when it comes to NBA basketball X's and O's? Uh, that things are just based off of a make or a miss. Like a, a lot of a lot of people, especially the people that don't like study it, will kind of just say, ah, they just there's no defense. They just they just, you know, shoot rubbing on the court. And it's like, no, <laughs> like, 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 like these guys, the difference is, is, is in college. But that's a crazy thing to say, though. You know, it, it is, but I had the same, I had the same thought when I was younger too. Like I, I wasn't, um, I don't knock those people because they just don't understand. Right. Right. So right. Like, right. I thought when I was younger, before I really studied it, I was like, yeah, they don't play any defense. And then like you watch and it's like, they could play the like most perfect defense in the NBA. You can play the best against Kevin Durant. It just doesn't matter. Like he's going to make a three in your you, face. You name the guy that it really doesn't threes. matter. So that, that's my takeaway is like, yeah, like, like it's, these guys are just so skilled, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. He's the guy that if you play perfect defense against, he could just shoot right over, and it doesn't matter at all. Like, yeah. he's the epitome of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just like, all right, guess we'll go play offense on the other end. You know, he just sometimes you just can't do anything about it. Um, but, yeah, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest one that I've, I've seen or, I, I guess, talked to people about. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, everything on the court happens, every possession for a reason. Like there's always a reason and, and, and you can look at each possession individually and learn 10 different things. If you really took time to study it like that. I'm sure half court hoops helps your high school coaching career and your high school coaching career helps half court hoops, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, uh, I, I take everything that we do. I'm in charge of the offensive skill development and I take everything that we do in the high school level. And I post it on my website so you can, you know, if coaches want to learn. Um, and then I also take a lot from, you know, just watching the, the NBA and, and try to apply some things to my team or, or use clips like that. And, and I try to make them both kind of work together. Um, but ultimately, it's just all about growing the game. Like it's just it's it, and, and a big part of it is, is I get to grow. You know, I get to learn and yeah. study every day and, and it challenges me as a coach, it challenges my thinking. And then I can take that information to anybody else that wants it. I and mean, if they don't want it, that's cool, too. You know, like it's, it, that's just what it is.
Most definitely. As you know, you could always learn, Coach. You could always learn. Yeah. Where can we find you on uh, social media, everywhere else, YouTube? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, Twitter and YouTube is Half Court Hoops. Uh, my website is thebasketballplaybook.com. Uh, and then I have Instagram is also the basketball playbook. Um, and that's pretty much the main avenues that you can find me. Twitter's is what I communicate on the most. Um, and then obviously I put out like YouTube videos and different breakdowns. And then, um, for coaches, I use the membership program on the basketballplaybook.com, um, where it's like Netflix for coaches, where it's like 500 nice. playbooks on there. Now, um, all the clinics and stuff that I do all my high school stuff, every, every skill development that I've ever done with Trey, who's in the NBA is on there now. Um, okay. so you, you can, and what's funny is I posted them before he made it to the NBA. So it's, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we can see some of the stuff that we did and, and his skill development on there. Um, but yeah, so that's where you can find me. Coach, you're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Big shouts to Coach Gibson Piper for joining in on this episode of Combo's Court. Big shouts to Combo Nation for tuning in all across the globe appreciate you all don't forget to rate review and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into combos court if you're listening on the apple podcast app leave a five-star rating a friendly comment and punch down on the follow button it would mean the world to me if you share this episode shared on twitter facebook linkedin shared on your ig stories and you know you could tag me on instagram at one two combo that's o-n-e T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 331. Combo out.